0: Try it, change it, and try it again. This is a phrase that is particularly important to our guest in this episode, an episode where we talk about the transformational power of our work. My name is Phil. I'm the host of this podcast. Welcome to Vertical Playpen, and please enjoy the conversation between myself and Bryn Lottig. I'm going to do a mystery question. We're going to follow challenge by choice in this. So you do have full choice over what kind of level you want to go in with these questions. The the first is curious. The second is brave, something brave. And then the last one is vulnerable. So these are going to be some questions that would create some vulnerability. It's your choice. It's your choice. Curious, brave, vulnerable. And we'll both kind of answer the question.
1: Okay, so I'm more drawn to either curious or brave. Stay curious. Um, reminds me of Ted Lasso. Oh, which, uh, yeah, we could go there. Okay. Um, that or the brave, but I'm gonna I'm gonna veto
0: the vulnerable. Vulnerable's gone. It's not even <laughs> yeah. even consideration. Curious or brave. I'll, I'll go curious too. And then if it's a very if it's super light and it's a quick answer, then we'll delve into brave.
1: Okay. Okay. Sounds
0: good. I'm going to go through these and you just tell me when to stop. Stop. Oh, I like, I actually like this question. This also could be a real good question that could tie in for listeners who are wanting like kernels of advice or nuggets of wisdom. What is a piece of advice you've received and you're glad you took it? To,
1: to either to go or to do it. There's a couple of scenarios where where I've been like waffling about whether or not it's it's appropriate to do a thing. So mm, I guess one of the first ones is my master's degree (laughs) when when I had babies. I took a break from working um, in the challenge course industry when I came back. My boss was like okay so what are your goals like what do you want to do and i was like i don't know maybe like attend some conferences and he was like have you ever thought about going to grad school and i was like no i can't do that i've got a two and a four-year-old and he was like well you should go talk to carla hacker she's doing this program and so i call carla hacker And she's like, yep, um, this is my last cohort. I'm going to retire. If you're going to do it, you have to do it right now. Sign up within like three weeks. And, you know, it includes this backpacking trip and the backpacking trip's really important. And then she kind of got it. And I was like, Carla, the only reason I want to do this program is to go on a backpacking trip. Like I cannot find a justifiable reason with a two and a four-year-old to go on a two-week backpacking trip unless I come out of it with a master's degree. And she was like, okay. And I was like, but I was really thinking that maybe I could wait until they were like four and six and like in school. And she was like, nope, you got to do it now. And we joke all the time because she's led like three more cohorts. Um, (laughs) And my husband at the time was like, Hey, the, the timing might not be perfect, but it is the perfect opportunity. And so I'm very glad that I went and I got, my master's when I did, because then I met my business partner and uh, it sort of led into my position working at the school that I work for.
0: I feel like sometimes we want to excuse the how we've ended up where we are to like some luck or something like there's, there's some other thing that helped, like if only this had happened, but I think that there has to be some personal ownership over the fact that, yes, there was all of these things going against this idea, but like you decided to make that idea happen and had the idea not happened then you wouldn't have been into the position you are now. So I know it's like the sliding doors principle of like, you've got two routes, whatever route, you don't know how the other one's going to turn out. Cause you don't have the chance for a second do over. It's where you are in that moment at that time, but it, you're in a position now where it's like, okay, now I can attribute it to that moment. And had I not taken that advice, where would I have been? So you can really draw that into a timeline. There are going to be opportunities that come up upon you that you just have to make a decision around and, Sometimes they're going to be hard or not. For me, it's a very similar. And I know I've referenced this in the podcast before, but initially when I got offered the job at High Five, I turned it down. It was one of those, like, I, I just moved to another state. I just moved to Pennsylvania from New York. I didn't, I was feeling, like, how do I uproot the family again? Me and my wife were thinking about having kids. And evidently when we were, when we did move, she was pregnant. We didn't necessarily find out until we'd finally moved. And it was like, oh, okay. But I actually turned it down and I ended up, getting an email from several people here that said, really, you're going to like, you've just spent like seven years working to a point where you could get to a job and then you get the job and you turn it down. It's like, how do you say no? So I think that that would be a, a similar piece of advice of saying like, it's interesting. I don't know. And I wonder if you think of this now. Like, we're further down the line from where that was, right? Like, we're further down our trajectory of experience. Would you have the confidence in yourself right now to be able to give that same advice to somebody else, knowing the risks? Because I think of both of those people, Carla saying that to you, Ortiz, Chris Ortiz telling me, no, no, you, you can't forget this is, this is a one and done, like, just take it kind of thing. I, I can't imagine giving that to someone.
1: No, there's there's been times in the last few years after after founding a startup where I'm just like, don't do it. Don't don't start a business. (laughs) If I knew now what I didn't know, then I wouldn't have done it. I'm glad I did, but I can't tell other people to take that on knowing what I know.
0: That's definitely the hard thing I think I struggle with from being, like I've talked about imposter syndrome before. I've talked about like Mm -hmm. career pathways in this field. I really feel like I really do struggle with trying to actually give good advice on that concept. Like how do you do, how did you get to where you are and and say like, don't take that as a lesson, like move to another country and like, (laughs) you know, like that's not good actionable advice, but yet, Things have worked out, so it's like ah, oh, you feel hypocritical to not say somewhat of like this. There's some oh, yeah. benefit to that, but there is struggle. But I do think that it ties into experiential. ed. All of our work, all of our career up till now, is experiential. Like there's been consistent moments of reflection, thinking, acting, and stuff like that. And we, and I, I would, I would hope to think that we're better now. That we were back then. I mean, like in facilitation, in our style, technique, and teaching and all those kind of things.
1: Well, Kendra and I say all the time that this is a meta problem solving initiative, that mm. that building a company from the ground up is like the the it's an entrepreneur that uh <laughs> that it's like the most uh team building of team building activities there is is to to build a a company with somebody
0: no absolutely so let's go back a little bit in the brin in the brin history as i like to call it (laughs) if it's a thing
1: oh yeah brin history as if you've said that (laughs) multiple times
0: before (laughs) exactly oh you remember that book i wrote on brin history (laughs) uh so brin history in your in the history of brin Mm-hmm. What was your first introduction to the field of experiential ed adventure ed challenge courses? Yeah, and Obviously I'm assuming it had some impact, but what was that?
1: Um, so it's really funny because I've, I've listened to you ask this of other people. And uh, <laughs> um, so I think that my first introduction was in, in sixth grade, we were taken out to this challenge course And it was actually used for uh, a juvenile corrections facility. And so that was very intimidating for uh, my mother was to let me go to like this, this property on where there was a prison on site to to climb in the trees. Um, But I loved it and never thought about it again for years and years and years. But um, when I was in college, so part of my story is that um, I was a certified pilot before I graduated from high school. So I started flying airplanes when I was 14, got my private pilot certification, almost went into the Air Force, decided not to for a variety of reasons, went to college um, with the intention of being a commercial pilot. 9-11 was a few weeks into my freshman year of college so all flight operations were suspended and uh at the time in the airline industry there was companies going bankrupt and a lot of pilots were getting furloughed and there was a flood of military pilots in the system at the time we hadn't been to war in a a really long time so there was all these folks that were building experience and hours and there was like no jobs. So my previous instructor told me that like he could make more money delivering pizzas than he could flying airplanes. And so I like didn't know what to do with myself. felt like the rug had been pulled out from underneath me. And it's like at this very like formative time in your life when you're a college freshman. So I went on an outward bound course and I mean, like most other Outward Bound alumni, it was transformative and it changed my life. But I was talking to my uh, Outward Bound instructor and he was just like, you know, don't don't turn your world upside down just because you got home from a course. Um, A lot of people say that happiness isn't the goal, but contentment is. And I was like, ooh, okay, so. I just felt very dissatisfied back in college and found a program that would take me abroad. So I went abroad my sophomore year at college to Australia and New Zealand, and I traveled with my professors. So every three days, we would move, but it was very immersive in adventure travel, um, eco travel. And in New Zealand, we were, we were whitewater rafting. We were skydiving. We were bungee jumping. We were, you know, abseiling and doing like these blackwater cave tours and all kinds of stuff. And I was like, this, this is where I love the stuff. Came back to college again. Couldn't like didn't didn't really connect with chemistry business classes so I went abroad again the next year same program but to um Thailand Cambodia Laos and Vietnam and I studied cultural tourism and oh I loved traveling and learning and immersing myself in the culture and when I came home all I had was enough credits to uh, graduate with a degree in recreation and tourism So, so after that i went and got my woofer and started guiding kayaking trips in the apostle islands on lake superior and it got to a point where that was no longer sustainable i got kicked off my parents insurance and i had to find like a real job so i dove into the outdoor industry and i worked for manufacturers i worked for a rep agency um i did you know Retail, specialty outdoor retail, some guide stuff. But when I met my husband, um, he works for the University of Wisconsin-Madison and runs a remote research station up here in northern Wisconsin. And he's got his PhD and very stable um, job with benefits that provided the opportunity for me to start exploring that seasonal work again. And I fell into Camp Manitwish. And at Camp Manitwish... Their facilitation guide for their leadership program was written by Lori Frank. And when I read that, I was like, oh, my gosh, there's words to all the things that I've experienced. And although I hadn't done it on a challenge course since I was in sixth grade, that was where my heart was. And that's where I felt like I could make a difference was working with these these groups that were brought to us doing leadership group dynamics, you know, all the stuff on the ground you know, full on, um, very traditional ground stuff, low ropes, high ropes. But what I love about Manitowish is that there's um, an expeditionary culture. And so even in leadership, we take groups out on trail. And so learning lessons on the high ropes course and then employing that on a backpacking or a canoeing trip is great. And so pulling these kids from, you know, the inner cities or suburbs of Chicago and Milwaukee and putting them in the woods. It it is just, it was just the best thing ever.
0: You mentioned the transformative nature of the Outward Bound program. Could you try to like describe what that actually was beyond the word transformative because i i'm sure that people will be like doing the whole yes i totally relate <laughs>
1: yeah um actually sort of you you opened a can of worms there uh with me because i i have a lot of i'm feeling feelings um about these things and what i found and this is part of my story and so whatever, we'll dive into me being vulnerable. My dad died when I was two years old and my brother was six weeks. Uh, My mom struggled with substance abuse her entire life and it did not get better after my dad died. And so I'm very classic textbook, oldest child in a substance abuse family. And because we are white and middle class, there's a lot of shame that goes along with it, but there's a lot of assumptions that get made when people look at me. And in that I haven't experienced hardship or whatever. And I didn't have the words or the tools to ever have sat with some of those things or reconcile with some of those things until my Outward Bound course. Because it was right after my freshman year of of college and it was 14 other participants, 13 of us were girls and one boy, but we were all the same age. We were out in the woods for, it was a 15-day backpacking and whitewater rafting trip. And it was the dirtiest I'd ever been. It was the most removed and out of communication with my family I'd ever been. So I wasn't being asked to mediate anything. I wasn't able to control anything that was happening there. And it, and we say this a lot at Kikori is that These types of learning experiences help you connect with yourself, with others, and with nature. And there's something very holistic about being able to sit with yourself, to see yourself, to be able to connect with and relate to others, and then also with nature and the planet. And so I think that that is what that outward bound course gave me and really opened opened my eyes to the possibility of like what what does it look like if i if i try to break the cycle right if i don't just exist to keep my family together and do the thing you know kind of like what covid did for everybody where it like is the like stops the wheel and makes you analyze everything so it was just that time where like i didn't have to chase that momentum of of life was pushing and you know in our industry i do think it's so hard because we know it and if you look at the history of adventure experiential outdoor education whichever words you want to choose it's been there for a long time but we have to prove it and it's that assessment it's that quantification that is so hard you know and I've watched Camp Manitwish go from having folks like me which are just like occasional facilitators for these two three-day programs on the shoulder seasons to before COVID being able to build up their leadership program you know they have a res camp they have an outpost but leadership Um, is taking those intact groups and they built the leadership program up that they could have contract facilitators year round with the exception of the month of January. So they had almost year round programming and that kind of structure provides consistency for people in the field um, that you don't have to do the seasonal hopping, but it also then builds the collective knowledge of us in the industry. So that's, that's something that, just i hate seeing how many good facilitators get washed out because they don't have a husband like mine who can support my frivolous seasonal like adventures and it's kind of what we're trying to do with kikori is capture that collective knowledge because so many people are working in silos and there's so many of us who are innovative and brilliant and having really big impacts on kids and we want to help share that and help make those connections so that we're not all making the same mistakes and we're learning from one another and raising that up you know i was talking to craig dopkin one time and he was just like you know i just i go to these conferences and they're all s- still playing the same games like i wanted it to evolve and he's like why isn't it evolving. And I was like, well, because people aren't getting paid enough and because people aren't sticking around enough and because we're not talking to each other. And so Kikori really is trying to be a hub and that turn competition into collaboration, because there's not, there will not be enough experiential learning in the world until everybody has gone on trail, like, (laughs) or or some form of that knowing that's not accessible for for every single person. But but until that sort of pedagogy like is like fluoride in the water, there's there's just not enough to help people connect with themselves and to connect with one another and and even the planet. Those are those are some of my little uh, soapbox things.
0: No, thank you. And I first want to honor your vulnerability. So thank you for being vulnerable. I I thank you for your work with with Kokori because I think it's just another great opportunity for people to find resources and be able to see all the different ways that we could interact with people. And absolutely the more we see there and the adaptability of all of the activities, that's what adds our own unique take to it, but it's also going to grow the field to be more accessible for certain people.
1: Well, and and so one of the recent uh, analogies, you know, I mean, we're big on metaphors, Um, Is that one of one of the gals who came into our company from the ed tech space in she's a client services specialist. She's like, I want us to be the Epicurious of activities. Like if you go on Epicurious, there's there's 50 lasagna recipes but you'll find your favorite lasagna. You know, there's a lasagna with three ingredients or there's one with 12 vegetables or there's ones with all the meats or there's ones that, you know, you make the noodles from scratch. And so I was like, oh yeah, I like that. Um, I like that our platform combines everybody's perspective and it's not just from one point of view and it's not one voice, Um, which makes it messy for sure. Um, It's, you know, something to wrangle, spaghetti noodles on the back end, but, uh, but that we have, you know, content from a corporate perspective, as well as early childhood education inside the classroom perspective or a PE perspective or, you know, outdoor ed or something that's aligned with the DSM five working with therapeutic organizations and, and to have all of that sort of in one place. But our goal too, is to, to help other organizations build out what like Manitowish did so that there's less seasonal employment so that camps or, you know, outdoor learning centers or whatever, they're not just working at the very tail of spring and, and beginning of fall when school is ending or starting. But to, to have these experts who are really good at place-based facilitation, because what your students might need is different than what my students might need is different than um, somewhere else but that place-based knowledge of a group um you know i i work with a fair amount of native kiddos and in my native population i mean to work um traditional ojibwa culture into my facilitation is is maybe not what they need in the inner cities of boston so um But to be that place based and to have facilitators, trained facilitators go into schools and teach the teachers how to bring that into their classroom, but then also provide a space for the kids to come outside.
0: What would you say is a is a crucial piece of advice right now in your time right now in your Bryn history like that term? Some, some advice that you live by now when you're running programming that you think other people should know?
1: So one of the qualities of a Manitouish leader is to try it, change it, try it again. Um, we talk a lot about collaborative leadership, but but I say that a lot, both like at Kikori, I say it at home, I say it at the school that I work for, that is not Manitouish, but try it, change it, try it again. Like, Analysis paralysis is a real thing. And a lot of times that desire to be perfect, especially in this social media spotlight type way where, you know, people are looking at you and oh, Phil must be so successful and have it all together because he doesn't, you know, put out anything that that really shows Otherwise, or or however that is, the the whole social media is somebody else's highlight reel and, and you're comparing it to your own internal bloopers. But I mean, the biggest thing is just, I mean, and even whatever business you're in, if you are a young entrepreneur doing a startup in ed tech that you have no formal training in, just fail hard, fail fast and fix it. I mean try it, change it, try it again.
0: Yeah, no, I like that. And I, I think it ties into a statement that our um another connection we have in common, Dan Miller he, he wrote a question on Facebook or something and it's like stuck with me. He said, when was the last time you did something for the first time?
1: Mm. And
0: I really like that question. I think that that's that, that thing of like really trying to challenge yourself. If we want to practice the challenge by choice or like the concept of experiential learning, then we should probably at some point make some failures that are going to give us some learning because if we're, we're always having mm-hmm. successes, those are great and the flops hurt. But there's there's some them lesson there in learning mm-hmm. something for the first time. I want to just uh, bring up something that I've been noticing you in your social media, talking about social media, (laughs) you've been doing that. I just have a personal question about and feel free Mm -hmm. if if you don't want to answer, but I'm intrigued by, tell me about this cold water immersion.
1: All right. So once upon a time, I uh, broke my knee. Um, It was staff versus eighth graders basketball game at an all school assembly. And uh, of all the adventurous things that I do, I tore my ACL and my meniscus playing basketball in a gym. Um, but I had surgery four weeks before lockdown. And like I said before, I'm, I'm super extroverted. And so this whole like non-weight bearing for the month before lockdown, going into lockdown, not being able to see anybody was torture. And again, all fitness classes got canceled. That. I was, I was really into CrossFit and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Um, and I mean, Jiu Jitsu is literally like rolling around and like sweating and breathing on each other. And so not (laughs) COVID friendly, like you can't, you can't do it virtually. Um, and so I was craving this connection and these, these girlfriends of mine, uh, throughout the summer of 2020, they had this mission to explore a lot of our local waterways. Um, And so to have a silent sport type experience on as many different lakes as they could. And so they had this spreadsheet and they were either swimming or kayaking or paddleboarding. And then as the fall came and it kept getting colder, they just kept going. And they were like, well, maybe this will be the last one and they just kept getting in the water. And I watched it all from, from, you know, my couch or my bed with ice bandages around my knee. And on New Year's Day, I was invited to go. And it's that like, when, when was the last time you did something for the first time? And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll go. It's new year's 2021. Let's, let's go. And I went and I got in up to my knees and I was like, you people are bananas. And I was like, peace out. See you later. (laughs) And then I went back again the next day and the day after that and the day after that, and it has become addicting. It has a very small like time footprint. I mean, we're in the water for as little as like 15 seconds to like 10, 15 minutes, but it's, it's not a 45 to an hour workout. And it was COVID friendly because it was outside. It filled my social bucket. Cause I was seeing these women regularly. Uh, it filled my adventure tank because I was like doing stuff other people weren't doing. And it made me feel really like cool and adventurous. And then there's like tons of both emotional, mental, and physical benefits. So, um, I did it sporadically last year. And then this year, this fall, we started going regularly and a girlfriend of mine put forth a January challenge. And she was like, can we go 30 days in a row? And I did 29 before my family went down to Florida on a Disney trip that had been postponed for like two and a half years. Um, But yeah, so now I still go a couple of times a week and I love it. And I have not read Wim Hof's book. I have the app. I don't practice it, but it goes completely contrary to all of my wilderness medical training. I don't know how it works, but I can sit in water that is anywhere from like super cooled 27 degrees at this dam that we're at to like. 34 degrees. I can sit in it for like eight minutes or so. Um, just wearing neoprene booties and gloves, but otherwise like a bathing suit. And I feel the benefits from it all day. So, um, it's a huge mood booster. It's great for the swelling and the inflammation of my knee. Um, there's all kinds of, of science and research around it, but it's been really fun. And, and I'm, also a, uh, quality time, love language kind of person, which fits with my extra version where before I was like, oh yeah, if I work out with this girl at the gym, we might not know anything other than first names, but if I see her three times a week, she's my best friend. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> during lockdown and after knee surgery, I lost all kinds of friends. So now I'm with these women and It's very body positive, like there's no judgment. It's very inclusive, all kinds of backgrounds. We don't need to know anything about anybody, but we go in the water together every day. And so now we're best friends and it's fantastic.
0: Trying something for the first time, having a new sense sense of community and having people who have a shared experience, the power of that, It's every time that we run a workshop, right? Like it's, we provide that to others. And it's so awesome that you're able to like benefit from the thing that you provide. So it's like a good circle of like all of our work combined. Thank you, Bryn. What I'm gonna do in the description, of this episode. So please look in the description. I'm going to put all the links to ways you can get in touch with Bryn, how you can check out Kokori. I please recommend you do so. Uh, contribute if you're able to contribute to it. Reach out to Bryn if you have any questions about anything that we've discussed. Hopefully, this was just a snapshot into the behind the scenes, the ungooglable pieces of Bryn, which I like, rather than like, oh, here's your bio and this stuff. Like, we're actually talking about some different stuff. And if you're intrigued and inspired, please reach out. I have no doubts that Bryn will be open and and able to chat with people who are interested in our work. Thank you, Bryn.
1: You're very welcome, Phil. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast.
0: And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Thanks again, I'll take a guy. <laughs> <laughs>